This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker. The Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mean, the ideal is that I, as an old man, am sitting on a park bench feeding ducks in my later, later years when a woman literally in a lab coat walks past and goes, oh my God, I'm a scientist because I read your books when I was a kid. The, uh, the, this obviously is a ridiculous leap of why am I feeding ducks? Uh, why is this woman still wearing a lab coat while walking to the park? Like whatever, there's so many things wrong with this fantasy. But the general gist is hopefully you sow a seed. You're listening to a science-focused podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Alexander McNamara, online editor at BBC Focus magazine. Comedian and TV presenter Dara O'Brien became hooked on maths after studying black holes in the shape of space as a teenager. He went to university to pursue maths and mathematical physics before veering way off course into comedy and science communication, hosting shows like Mock the Week and Stargazing Live. He's drawn on skills from all of those areas to create his second science book for kids called Secret Science, The Amazing World Beyond Your Eyes. In it, he details the tiny and invisible things that are very, very important to everyday life. We talked to Dara about the joys and challenges of communicating science to kids, and what to do if you find science boring. He shares his favourite nerdy science joke with us, as well as why he's fascinated by the sleeping habits of giraffes, and the details of the disappearance of the brontosaurus. Here's BBC Focus editorial assistant Helen Glenny, talking to Dara O'Brien. You studied maths and physics at university. Uh, right? Maths and mathematical physics mm-hmm. um, in UCD uh, in Dublin. Like the uh, uh, it's a specific. It was a specific kind of f- sort of fast track for those who just want who really wanted to get uh, down to the mathematical stuff without any of the. Um, 
kind of dusty uh, uh, practical um, kind of soldering yourself to the table kind of thing so, yeah. we, so we, we strip so it, it narrowed really really quickly into doing um, just very very yeah, mathematical content immediately mm-hmm. yeah and do you remember as a child how you first got into science? How you decided? Uh, I remember the the point where I, where I knew it was very at that point when you were fourteen when you really when you really registered. I don't remember specifically being into it before that any more than just that usual curiosity we all have, uh, hopefully. Um, but I remember, and, I remember, and I've had conversations with this with with, uh, with various scientists I know and science writers I know that there's a point about fourteen where you it sort of grabs you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in a big way so the uh, so for me it was um, a, like a teacher who went off piste in um, in science lectures and started because there's a a point where we it was before we had to get to any syllabus for exams so we kind of kept it very open and very kind of uh, they had this 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 amazing thing or that amazing thing uh, and he was doing the shape of the universe and black holes and all the kind of stuff like whatever and I got for you and, and that grabbed me mm-hmm. I remember in a huge way so the uh, and also then reading um in search of Schrodinger's Cash by John Gribben uh, and various other popular science books around the time. So, the, uh, so yeah, it was about 14. And did you ever, after doing those studies, did you ever consider entering academia? No, uh, it wasn't really the... Um, uh, I toyed with the notion, I think I had myself down f- uh, for a couple of different master's programmes then, but then ran a newspaper instead in the college mm-hmm. uh, and then put it down for a different master's programme then for journalism and then ended up getting loads of work so I didn't even do that. Uh, so, uh, so no, and I've, I, I have a kind of an ongoing respect for those who went ahead and did the kind of more um, well nothing is uh, more uh, is less thankless than comedy is because we get thanked every 30 seconds uh, <laughs> every day right so the uh, so th- those have actually done the more difficult thing that requires actually years of work and then um, producing something to uh yeah, without getting a thousand people in the room cheering, uh, applauding you, uh, I I admire that. Yeah, I think it's 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 a character flaw of mine that drove me to the to showbiz rather than to doing that. Like that. So no, but I never I never seriously, um, it was never seriously an option because I just got drawn away into other things. Um, so you've ended up with these parallel careers as a, a science communicator and as a comedian. Yeah. And how did how did that come about? Well, it's there's a, there's kind of a way it works. If you if you get any kind of note uh, in television, they will sit you down and go hold other things do you like because um it's useful to sort of cross-pollinate uh, the schedules to, to have somebody go well actually i'm also really into this and so they they know they can draw take an audience from one place and they'll bring it across to another um it was specifically there so we we're having conversations about doing something like that like the uh, uh and but then somebody came up with the idea for stargazing live and they felt particularly because brian had just started doing stuff that it'd be useful for brian to have a broadcasting co-host so someone who's there whose job it is to be keeping an eye on the time and mm-hmm. let's move this along and so Brian could get passionate and get lost in the subject but somebody would be there to go well that's great Brian but we're going to have to um, move along so I got I was asked if I wanted to do that like whatever now it helps the fact that I, I know a bit about this and so wasn't being I'm phased by the conversations and stuff like that and uh, I was able to pitch in not for the level Brian does but still able to pitch in mm. with things and then um and know when to go, Alison, can we just explain that a little bit better? Mm-hmm. The uh, But a lot of the job is uh, being the responsible one when uh, Brian's getting passionate and, and uh, <laughs> about something to go, yeah, that's all very well, but there's an airplane hovering above Scandinavia uh, <laughs> wanting to give us live footage or something. So can we, we're going to cut this off and go. I, I have a routine in the show, actually, a current show about how there's, there are people who genuinely think that when I, I interrupt Brian, because I have to go, Brian, I'm going to stop you there. Um, that they think I do it because I'm jealous. 
they genuinely think that I, when I host uh, Stargazing with Brian, that I sit there angrily thinking, have a look at the attention he's getting. And I, and coincidentally, around about the four minute mark, I ha- I go, I can't take this anymore. And I have to stop him and move the entire show somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, and just you get out the of envy. Yeah, just because of me. When in fact, it's somebody shouting in my ear going, 10 seconds to Scandinavian footage or whatever. And I have to do that. But we find that we both find it very funny. Yeah, yeah. It's been such a common thing. There's so, it's a common Twitter thing of going, oh, stop interrupting Brian. Going, I'm not interrupting Brian. I'm hosting a show that Brian is on and the show, and like, because also people probably don't realize Stargazing in particular is a tremendously um, coordinated show. There's, it's very, the, the live one hour is like, you got this, then this, then this, then this, then this, and there's four different locations and there's the camera crew's here and then Liz is off some on the other side of the, of, the, of the planet and Tim Peake is arriving at the <laughs> space station or whatever. So it's an incredibly produced show, mm-hmm. um, more so than I think we make it look, which is great, mm-hmm. but it look, it should flow really, really quick. The best produced shows, they flow really quickly, but the uh, but this one is boom, 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 and somebody has to be the one <laughs> doing the thankless task. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's me uh, doing that. The, yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, and we used to have a show which, uh, which uh, called Back to Earth, which is a half hour after it, which we never had time. The first one was really rehearsed, and the second show was completely unrehearsed, mm-hmm. and that was honestly the most fun I've ever had in my, in my, in my professional life because it was a completely unrehearsed that I basically controlled the whole thing mm-hmm. and then then we had complete scope to let the conversation flow well meanwhile there's a producer going could we get that in could we get that in and, and seeing the moment pass whereas I'm just ignoring them uh, and going no no this show is just for talking now uh, and uh, so there was it was uh, so yeah so, so they, they needed to basically someone with, with both the interest in the thing and but also t- years mm-hmm. of, of live television to to help anchor it mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the first to say that my job in all these things is to when I'm doing the broadcasting is to the person standing next to the expert uh-huh. uh, and I get the information out of the expert I'm not the one to so, so actually doing a kids book is sort of the perfect level in terms of I love explaining it I love I've lo- I love bringing the passion across for these things but I'm unlikely to I, I wouldn't uh, honestly wouldn't deign to write the book that explains this to adults mm-hmm. because there are tons of great science writers out there who are also scientists as well mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's 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 the thing that they'll do far better and they'll bring far more to it whereas I can go that's very interesting the way you've explained it but I think I, I can explain it a bit better Mm-hmm. And I can make it funny, and I can make them more appealing to a to a young audience. So that's a kind of a different skill set. The yeah, but um, it is you do still occasionally people going, oh yeah, yeah, did, did Brian help you to explain to you? And you're going, no, it's actually it's okay. Brian got this out of books, you know. I got also out of books. The stuff is in books. Brian didn't invent this stuff, uh, you know. The the scientists also. We all came to school, and scientists had to be taught the same stuff as well. I just stopped. I just stopped attending these lectures after a while, but. You know, all the information is out there. There, it's not the it's, and that's possibly in itself a quietly thing. All this information is out there. It's not the preserve of any one group of people, mm-hmm. either whether it be astronomers or biologists or whatever, uh, or scientists on the telly. It's no one's preserve. That information is all free to go. We're just repackaging it in an exciting way to draw you in again. Mm-hmm. They, uh, but none of this is a secret. <laughs> Science, I think, especially among kids and teenagers who are learning at school sometimes has this this bad reputation of being boring yeah, or yeah. nerdy and all that. Do you feel like 
you kind of need to be a bit defensive of that. Is that part of you know the science comedy thing is probably a really good way of it can be it can be very very good. I mean, there's, there's, there's a number of things there. First, there are parts of science that are boring. The uh, and there's lots of points that involve classification and they involve um, learning how to do things and learning methods and the part of the education of it is teaching people things that they they don't know why they're doing them and they won't really realize until years and years later. So yeah, of course that's boring. Like whatever. Same as spelling. Learning spelling is boring. Same as learning tables is boring. The uh, yeah bits of they're just going to be unfortunately. You know, doing star, doing you know laps is boring. Running, playing the football match is fun. You know, there's lots of parts mm-hmm. of life, unfortunately, that are boring. They uh, and it's a very and I that's I'm no better than anyone else was in terms of doing the doing the practice. But the uh, but unfortunately, that's just a sadly part of life. The uh, we do a specific thing within this book where in the first chapter we say because this book the first book I wrote was space 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 space, space mm-hmm. and that's very straightforward. But in this book we have <laughs> a. Um, uh, it's about the invisible, invisible uh, things of everyday, everyday life, and that's uh, it's that's hormones and electrons and bacteria and forces, and so we're covering loads of different stuff, like whatever. And you and we have a thing in the first chapter where I say, listen. Some of this you'll like less than others. Some of this just won't interest you because that's the way it works. Like, I mean, I like, you know, my, for me personally, I don't know what I'm going to say is I love, I love the physics bits and the biology stuff always kind of left me cold. It's not my thing. Mm-hmm. The uh, flip side of which is I, like, my wife is a doctor. I told her, it's a book about space. And she's just going, eh, space. Uh, like, whatever. <laughs> some people like something, some people like other, don't like other things. So we have a thing in the book which basically we say to them, skip it. If you don't, if you don't like this bit, there's another bit. Next, just coming along, which should be more your thing, and so go with that. And then at the end, I go right. So what bits do you skip? Because if you like these bits, then you could become a neuro- neuroscientist. If you like these bits, you might be into engineering. If you like these bits, you might be a like a botanist or a biologist or a doctor. If you like these bits, you could be a phys. I mean, and they're all different questions, and they all want to find out things, and they all have things they don't know. And so it's a so we kind of make it a thing in that yeah, we ex- I ap- oh totally accept that some of this can be a bit boring. And that's fine, then grand. Life is too short, go find the thing you love. Because we'll all, you'll all end up specialising at some stage. So you might as well, when you're doing this, find the ones you love and then go find out more about that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there is a thing. I mean, I'm, I, that, the flip side of which is, uh, I don't accept the, the term nerd as being a, an insult. I've, I've forgotten when that was last an insult <laughs> because it's been co-opted so much anyway by, by frankly, people who don't deserve it, uh, saying, I like, I like bands, so I'm a nerd. Or I like, I like, I like uh, Infinity Wars, so therefore I'm a nerd. No, they want the largest grossing movie of the year. Oh, you liked it? You like Star Wars? Oh, how unique. They, yeah, I did four years of maths in university. I am a nerd, right? You aren't a nerd because you liked Luke Skywalker. <laughs> that doesn't make that doesn't qualify you as a nerd. So I find that term is a badge of honour more than anything else. You mentioned this is your second science book for, yes. for children. What motivated you to start writing for children? Was it that specific set of skills that you felt like you had? Uh, there is a touch of it. Like the, the one thing that I know I can bring to this is uh, like an enthusiasm and a passion. And they, they, these things you know, excite me. And I quite uh, I thought this would be an interesting market in which to do that. And a group of people to say that too. Because they're naturally scientists anyway. Kids ask questions. Kids ask, kids are curious. Mm-hmm. They, uh, and it's this This is an age which is... because it's We're not... About the process yet they're about just the results and the funny things and the facts and stuff like that so uh, I mean they'll get into it when you get a bit older teenage years then you have to have to unfortunately have to start learning that you know this is how an experiment is and this is how you do this and this is an equation and all that. but right now it's all you know draft sleep for five minutes wow uh, and that kind of stuff so it's a nice age in which to it, 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 and you know it's, a, it's an easier age to write for in some ways because it is just look at this fun thing mm-hmm. um, and that's easier with space and stuff like that and then 
then hopefully within that context you can slide in interesting content concepts that will stick with them hopefully um but i mean the ideal is the total ideal is that i as an old man i'm sitting on a park bench feeding ducks uh in my later later years when a woman in a white coat in a literally in a lab coat walks past goes oh my god I'm the scientist because I read your book so I was a kid. The, uh, the, this obviously is a ridiculous leap of why am I feeding ducks? Uh, why is this woman still wearing a lab coat while walking to the park? Like whatever. There's so many things wrong with this fancy. But the general gist is hopefully you sow a seed uh, and that people go, oh yeah, that is kind of fun. That is amazing that that, that happens. Like whatever. And then it sits with them. And so fingers crossed. First one, we didn't know we know we did really well got nominated for an award uh, book trust award and it was great and, it was, and be really enthusiastic about it this one is an interesting one because it's it's not about one thing so this one will be yeah mm-hmm. intrigues how this one goes nice and you're a father yourself yeah are your kids interested in science yeah but in, in that kind of general way I don't think any of them, I, I, as far as I know well one of them it, dep- it depends some of them they're quite young uh, mm-hmm. so uh, so difficult to tell but I think one's more into, uh, the eldest is probably more into the arts than into the sciences and constantly apologises to me for that so the uh, so uh, as yet we don't know yet mm-hmm. too young yeah okay and how important do you think it is for kids to grow up learning about science is that something that you're going to try and keep in your kids life yeah. as much as possible oh, absolutely well I think it's important for anyone I don't think it's you know it's it, uh, it's one of our great achievements is is discovering how the universe works like whatever the and uh, uh, it is it, uh, we've we've two great towers uh, the arts and the sciences the stuff we've created and the stuff we've discovered uh, and I think it's this fundamental part and I think we've a tendency to box them off a bit uh, and go well this is well, this is uh, one thing and you read into this or you're into the other like the uh, mm. I think that's a very um, weird state of affairs where people can't be curious about both so um, no we, we you know we do as many visits to uh, uh, the VNAs we do to the Science Museum the, uh, and we're lucky to have them all kind of not far away from us the, uh, but uh, it's uh, I think there there is a world of exciting stuff there um, and uh, I'm not intent to shut off any doors yet mm-hmm. and what challenges have you found when you've been writing these books uh, in terms of writing science stuff for kids uh, well, the, well, the, fir- the most fundamental challenge is uh, you got to get stuff right um, and that's uh, a thing you don't really worry about too much when you've got um, when you're writing comedy shows the uh, and uh, also because th- the second book in particular has touched on things that aren't my degree aren't my uh, specialisation in any way uh, so getting that stuff checked and not then doing this the, what is it called the QI thing of repeating old canards uh, and so that often happens that stuff pops up that uh, that you know you're explaining how wings work and you have to kind of go wait no we, it, it's, it's actually not what we've been told for years about the shape of wings at one stage I uh, um we were talking about uh, this hormone uh, that the stomach release called ghrelin, which is the one that basically tells them, uh, the, the brain that we don't need any more food. Um, and I was saying this to, again, to my wife, who's a doctor, and she said, uh, what? I've never heard of that, like, whatever. And that is only recently been discovered. Ghrelin is, like, 10 years old as a thing, like, whatever. So there's a, it's a bit... It, it, you, you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to reinvent the brontosaurus. <laughs> That's what you don't want to do. Because uh, I remember the bit where I came back where I, le- I loved the brontosaurus when I was a kid, didn't think about the brontosaurus again for 15 years, became a kids' TV presenter, and we were doing some item about something, about dinosaurs. And I said, oh, yeah, and the brontosaurus. And the guy went, there's no, bron- there's no brontosaurus. The brontosaurus is what? gone. What? The brontosaurus is gone. 
What do you mean gone? There's no brontosaurus. It never exists. It never existed. Brontosaurus wow. was, an, oh, was an incorrect thing. So the brontosaurus, as far as I know, anyway, somebody googled this, right? They uh, <laughs> we'll check that before we Yeah, talk. they've got the right one, but it was definitely. I think the brontosaurus was the one that does, if you see current lists, like our kids will never learn about the brontosaurus because it was oh. we put the wrong bone with the wrong hip bone or whatever, <laughs> and we we imagine a dinosaur that isn't there. So now some bit of it's in the patasaurus. I don't know what the exact thing, but yeah, but the brontosaurus went in the, mm-hmm. by by the mid nineties. By the seventies, there was a brontosaurus. By the mid nineties, there was no brontosaurus. Mm-hmm. I'm now going to look that up so I've got that definitely right. Are you are you googling <laughs> brontosaurus? Yeah, the, yeah, because I've got to make sure I've got definitely got it right. These brontosaurus, yeah, because Diplodocus is still around, uh-huh. Transaurus still around, like whatever, um, you know, um, Stegosaurus, all those. Oh, they still exist, but the brontosaurus was just a thing that we thought was a thing and by the time I came out gone it's like people ah, there are people yeah. who, go, who don't know what quarks are you know they, there was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just it, it moves on and mm-hmm. you don't want to be uh, doing your half remembered stuff from mm-hmm. 20 years ago mm-hmm. so did you end up coming up with a favourite fact from the book or a favourite part for you to write I am um, god yeah I, I, honestly I've already got when I, when I run through the book I, go, I can't there's 300 pages of it doesn't yeah. pop in the, the uh, but I'm very fond of the, of the giraffe just the comparison of the giraffe sleeps for 5 minutes uh-huh. whereas the lion sleeps for 18 hours uh, and that is if ever there's a dividend for being a lion it's the fact you can sleep for 18 <laughs> hours whereas the giraffe grabs sleep for 5 minutes well, and then how long does it stay awake for? Is this five it's, minutes quite often? I, I, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not sure how. They used to think it didn't sleep at all. Oh. They, uh, because they never saw it sleep. Because they think it was like whatever. Yeah, but I think it, it manages to function like that. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's an awful life because you're going to get eaten by a lion. So, they, <laughs> so it's constantly, uh, um, you know, just being aware. Mm. Like, and they may go into it. There are different forms of, uh, of sleep, obviously, <laughs> whatever. The... Um, yeah, no, there's, there's uh, God, there's, there's loads and one of the favorite. Oh yeah, that, this one that people, uh, the air doesn't circulate in a plane. It's not the same air when you fly. Mm-hmm. The air, um, uh, planes take in air to the engine, and then they sweep the air through and out again. So there's a hole at the back of the plane where the air leaks out. Mm-hmm. The uh, because people are in the presumption that you basically you fart and you and the yeah, fart stays in the plane for 18 hours no, it yeah, yeah. no it all gets swept air comes into the engine and swoops out and goes out again oh, but yay. the plane uh, is pressurised it isn't pressurised to ground pressure because mm-hmm. that would be enormous it, it, you know the way that we, obviously we, we, we fly high um, and so you fly let's say I think it's 35,000 feet um, the pr- pressure in the plane is 6,000 feet because it's midway between sort of midway between mm-hmm. the two the, uh, and so when your ears popping over, they're not popping. You're not even at the pressure that the air pressure that is outside. Mm-hmm. It just kind of it picks a medium point, mm-hmm. so it's not like an enormous amount of pressure on the plane, like whatever. So it just eases the pressure a bit. So in even though you're flying at thirty five thousand feet, your ears think you're at ten thousand feet, and then there's the ground. So the uh, yeah. so it's uh, yeah. So it's, it's so it's a partial pressurization. I wasn't quite uh, things. I presumed it went to it kept ground pressure yeah. the whole way through it doesn't it lifts it a little bit so you're less pressure you're like about a half an atmosphere of pressure mm-hmm. in the plane mm-hmm. but significantly less outside the plane yeah, okay so but not enough for it to be noticeable yeah like, exactly yeah yeah I mean no it's noticeable in the sense of your ears pop yeah, the, yeah it's got, but the ears pop no more than you would by diving 10 metres uh-huh, okay. yeah, so the weight of the weight of the air in your head of all the air in the head is the same weight as 10 metres of water ah right yeah so that's to, yeah, so it's, it's one atmosphere if you go down 10 metres uh-huh. that's one ATM one atmosphere mm-hmm. of pressure so you've gone in the in the ten minutes of water pushing down on you is the same as all of the air pushing mm-hmm. down on you because the air is bouncing around all mm-hmm. the place. The yeah, so uh, I mean, it's not the the, the tonnage of the of, of the actual molecule is because it's all pushing off different directions. But so in other words, in other words do you dive? Uh, I've done it a few times. Yeah, exactly. You know the way you have to. Pop, yeah. pop your head, yeah, because mm-hmm. you that's you go down ten meters. Uh-huh. It's the same change of pressure okay. as yeah, flying a plane. 
Oh, it's really interesting. Yeah. Nice. Now, um, I definitely can't get away with coming here and interviewing you and not asking you whether you have a favourite science joke. Oh God, they're all terrible though. I do, <laughs> but it, I mean, uh, but the um, uh, the but it, I, I have the most. My favorite is the mathematical, or the most nerdy one, <laughs> the, uh, which is the what is the and see the the purpose of a great science story. What what did you do? What was your what's your background? In neuroscience. Neuroscience. Okay, yeah. right, okay, that wonderful science on neuroscience, mm-hmm. but of no use. You will not get this. <laughs> um, and, it but, takes the pressure off. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, the uh, the. Uh, it, but the the uh, genuinely the greatest answer is what does the B in Benoit B Mandelbrot stand for? <laughs> what does it stand for? It stands for Benoit B Mandelbrot. <laughs> um, and if, if you're a mathematician, that is a hilarious <laughs> joke. Genuinely a brilliant joke. Um, do you remember seeing um, Chaos Theories? Those fractals. The only thing you zoom in on, and every time you zoom in, the same pattern appears. The same uh-huh, pattern yeah. appears. The same yeah. pattern appears. Same. They're called Mandelbrot sets. Oh, okay. And his name is Benoit B. Mandelbrot. Uh, yeah. And if the B stands for Benoit B. Mandelbrot, that means every time you zoom in, it's Benoit B. Mandelbrot. Gotcha. Benoit B. Mandelbrot. <laughs> if you're a mathematician, that's a that's a cracker joke. That's an amazingly funny joke. Nice, but uh, uh, but it's a, it's it, it, properly because I don't all these stupid ones about like oh you know an electron walks into a bar no <laughs> screw that the uh, that that is you want a proper hardcore science joke is that that was comedian Dara O'Brien whose new book Secret Science the Amazing World Beyond Your Eyes is out now. Thanks for listening to the Science Focus podcast. The October issue of BBC Focus magazine is out now. And in it, we discover how we could leave Earth for good and build a new civilization in space. We also speak to a panel of leading female scientists about why there are so few women in science, discover why curry is so good for you, and explore whether machine learning could help shed new light on the problem of male suicide. Find out more at sciencefocus.com. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.